I was 13 years old. Um, I lived in a town called Topley, B.C. Does anybody know where Topley, B.C. is? That's what I thought. <laughs> uh, in between Houston, B.C. and Burns Lake. Does that ring any? You're still looking at me like, how about Prince Rupert and Prince George? In between the middle of Prince Rupert and Prince George. Population, 150. Yep, that's probably why you didn't know about it. There is a Topley, California, too, though, so I don't know. Anyways, I lived in Topley, B.C., and I was 13 years old, and I woke up one morning to take the school bus to Houston, B.C., which is what we did every day, and it was in the middle of the winter, and it was minus 45 that morning. When I woke up, my mom said to me, your brother was at the church all last night. Our house was on one end of the town. At the other end of the town was our little community church. And the community church had a wood stove. That's how we heated a double-wide trailer. And in the nursery was the only baseboard heaters. And so my brother had stayed at the church all night. God got a hold of his heart, and he was a a wild thing at age 15 and was radically converted and met Jesus. And I don't know what it was about what my mom said that morning, but it just like something reached into my soul and my heart. And I just, for the first time in my life, I was following in his footsteps, wanting to be crazy. And for the first time in my life, I had a hunger and a desire to know God. And I I, I was kind of angry that I had to go to school that morning, but I shot out the door, got to the bus stop, and um, lo and behold, the bus couldn't start because buses don't start very well in minus 45. So I was excited. I ran home. Um, I'm not getting a text. I just need to see what time it is because Alistair said I only got an hour this morning. So I had to run home, and I threw my lunch in the door, and I said to my mom, Mom, I'm going to the church. I remember walking to the church, getting in this little nursery, and I didn't even know what, what I was to do or not do. I just got down on my knees in this little nursery, and I began to holler and scream and say, God, if you're real, you got to come and meet me like you did whatever you did to my brother. I was laying there, I was yelling and hollering in the nursery, and my grandma lived across the road. And my grandma was awakened. This is like 6.30 in the morning to someone yelling in the double-wide trailers. So she comes across the road in her nightgown with slippers. My grandma gets down beside me, and she just begins to lift her hands, and she begins to tell Jesus how beautiful he is how glorious he is, and I'm hollering and yelling, and it isn't working for me, but she's just having the time of her life, and so about an hour in, I thought maybe I should try what my grandma was doing, and so I just said, Jesus, I just, I don't know what happened this morning. That was completely unusual, but something you did in my heart, and for the first time in my life, there's longing for you. I want, I want you, whatever, whatever you are, whoever you are, would you come and would you awaken my heart and, and give, change my life, transform my life? It was four and a half hours later when my grandma's still beside me and I was laid out on the ground when my life was radically transformed and changed. 
I remember skipping down the street, hollering like a fool as my heart was so in love with Jesus. I know we're in a series on zeal and how easy it is for us to fall in and out of love for Jesus. We gather on Sundays, often it's, it's, you know, a week that's just piled up on us and all kinds of stuff and we're bringing that stuff in and often it's just like, where is Jesus? I mean, you know, we, we try to sing songs, we try to have the gospel in there to, to help us lift our eyes and see him, but often we're just, we've lost sight of Jesus. In the book of Revelation, we see one of the clearest pictures of heavenly worship. Um, we see this beautiful picture of heavenly worship. And the reality is, is when we gather on Sunday mornings, when we gather, we are actually joining that service. It's amazing. It's crazy to think, you know, there's, there's uh, different time zones and people have worshiped way before us. There's, there's this ongoing worship down here. But when we gather on Sunday mornings, no matter how we feel or what's gone on that week or what's gone on that morning, when we gather, we're actually joining a worship service that never ends, that's continuously going on in heaven. So we're going to look for a minute this morning at that worship service, and then we're going to conclude by looking at some possible hindrances that might hold us back from really joining that worship service. So before we get to Revelation 5 and Revelation 4, we see a throne, and the scripture says there's someone seated on the throne. There's a throne, someone is seated on the throne, that throne is occupied. That throne has been occupied for centuries, for thousands of years. Before the beginning of time, that throne has been occupied. This throne we read about is mentioned 17 times in chapter 4 and chapter 5, and then 21 more times in the rest of the book of Revelation. This worship service around the throne is, is, is worship around the one seated on the throne. And, and can I say this? So should ours. Every time we have a worship service, our worship service should be seated, should be focused on the one who is seated on the throne. From this throne, the scripture tells us, comes flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Lightnings and rumblings and thunder all display the terrifying splendor of God's glory. Verse 3, he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. These jewels signify the splendor and majesty of the one who is on the throne. What John is doing here is he's attempting to describe in words and images what's impossible to describe. The one seated on the throne is impossible to describe. He's beautiful beyond description. Can you say this morning that he's beautiful to you beyond description? He's holy, holy, holy. Revelation 4, 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, day and night, day and night, night and day, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Day and night, week after week, 
Month after month, year after year, these creatures attend the throne of God and they see the one seated on the throne and they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. Daryl Johnson says, always three because the one who sits on the throne is three. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These creatures are calling out something of supreme importance when it comes to the one who's seated on the throne. The one on the throne is awesome in his beauty, purity, and perfection. The one on the throne is in a class all by himself. He's set apart. He's holy, holy, holy. Psalm 50, I think, Psalm 50, somewhere in there, middle of the chapter, the psalmist, the Lord says to the wicked, you thought I was altogether like you. Often we, we come into our gatherings and we're, we've lost sight of the holy, holy, holy one. We bring him down. We kind of we want him to be our buddy and just kind of be a little bit casual. And, and we take this casual attitude in. And w- w- this picture we see of heaven, of this worship service that's never ending, is, is there's one seated on the throne and he's, he's literally blowing the minds of every creature around him, and, and, and all they can say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. A.W. Tozer, like 40 years ago, said this, the decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles. A rediscovering of the majesty of God will go a long ways towards curing them. He goes on to say, if we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. When we gather on Sunday morning and we, we seek to spread a banquet feast of scriptures and songs and preaching that, that magnify the worth, that, that point you to a big, holy, holy, holy God, what happens in your heart? What, what, what happens? Do, do, do you... Do you think of God more nearly as he is or have you come to a place where, where you lack spiritual power, where, where the, 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 the lack of knowledge of the holy has brought on troubles in your life? The response to such power, majesty, glory, we see is falling down before the one seated on the throne and they worship him, casting their crowns before him. Literally every time we gather down here as God's redeemed people for corporate worship, we're joining this worship service already in progress. It's it's unbelievable to think of that. Then chapter 5 is a continuation of that worship service already in progress. In verse 5, we're told to look, to see, to behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. These titles speak of the Messiah who will come and conquer his enemies and bring judgment. The Messiah will come and bring salvation to his people. Tells us to look, the lion has conquered. But how? How is the lion conquered? The lion conquers by becoming a slaughtered lamb. Verse 6, and between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The more accurate translation is I saw a lamb in the middle of the throne. The lamb is in the middle of the one seated on the throne. He's in the middle of all this awesome 
purity and beauty and perfection and holiness. This worship service is centered around the Lamb in the middle of the throne. Our worship services down here must center around the Lamb in the middle of the throne. Listen, we would not be here this morning, we would not desire to be here had the Lamb not redeemed a people, purchased a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, would we? We would not want to be here this morning. Most, or not most, but many people out, I know my neighbors to my right and my left, they wake up every Sunday morning like me, but not with the desire to go, hey, I get to get up this morning and go to worship Jesus with God's people. What, what's different? What's happened in my heart? Only a work of grace. Only the fact that God has awakened my heart to see the beauty and the awesomeness and the purity and the perfection and the holiness of the Lamb that's seated in the middle of the throne. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. John says he saw a lamb. What happened to the lion? This lamb is standing as though it had been slain. It's, it's, it's no longer slain. It's no longer a, a dead, bloody heap. But this lamb, Jesus Christ, is now in the middle of the throne as the conquering one. Jesus Christ is the focal point. Jesus Christ is the focal point of the worship service that's already happening in, in heaven. And Jesus Christ should be the focal point of our worship service every time we gather. The lion lamb has ransomed the people. We sang about that this morning. 24 elders and living creatures explode in worship as they behold the glorious mystery of the lion and the lamb. And they sing a new song. What new song do they sing? Well, we see in chapter 4, the song that they were singing was, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. But now in chapter 5, their song is different. Their song is a new song. It's worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and people and nation, making it possible for us to stand in the presence of holiness. That's us. We join the worship service that is already in progress today because the lamb was slain to ransom a people. And in this this explosion of worship sets off another explosion. Every time I think we think of the lamb, and, and, and this is where I'm getting back to having my heart awakened at age 13, that, that you know, there, there can be seasons in my life, the, the good old song, Come Thou Found, verse 3, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That happens in every one of our lives, doesn't it? Don't you find that? It's okay, you could nod or something, you you afraid of me? I'm afraid of you a little bit the way you're looking at me. Prone to wander, prone to leave the God. It'd be so easy for us to 
to, to lose sight of the lamb. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is just not a word or a catchword or phrase that we use. The gospel is about a person. It's about Jesus. It's about the lamb who was slain to purchase us. Sometimes we need to go back there and we need to, we need to be refreshed of the good news of the gospel. We need, to, we need to be with Jesus. We need to open the scriptures. We maybe need to, to sit down and listen to some music that stirs our heart and our affections for Jesus. Every time we think about the lamb slain to purchase for people, it ought to, it ought to awaken our hearts to worship God. I love here at St. Peter's, this is the, the only place that I've been at where you hoot and holler at the assurance. And can I just say, you, you should get a little bit more crazy than you do. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love, because there's no other place where we should be loud than there. I mean, what, what we're just saying is, guess what? You are the people that he purchased with his blood and you've been out there and doing life and things have been hitting you and smacking, the fa smacking you in the face and Jesus has never changed. Jesus is just as glorious as he always is, but there's all kinds of things in your way. And when you come in, this mor in the morning and you sing a song like, our God's a lion, the lion of Judah, and he's holy, and we go, oh, he is holy, and, and I've just had a bad week, and I've sinned, and I've broken his laws, and I've done things I shouldn't have done this week. And then we, we, we confess our sin corporately together, and then we're reminded, guess what? Guess what? Even though you've walked away, even though all these things have been in your way, and you've forgotten me, guess what? I've loved you with an everlasting love. Oh, come on. That is so good news. And that's worth hooting and hollering about. Then I looked, so these explosions of worship. I looked, verse 11, I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, voice of many angels numbering myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What a worship service. And this is happening right now. This happened this morning, long before we started our service. It's going to continue long after we end our service. This glorious worship service. And when we gather, we have this privilege of joining in with this service. He's thinking, like, are you kidding me? Like, that's always happening. And somehow when we gather corporately, we get to join that. Every time we gather... If Jesus has purchased us with his blood, he's made it possible for us to gather as his redeemed saints and approach him boldly and worship him, join in with that worship service. Now, if, if, if we see in the Revelation text this, you know, explosions of worship, loud voices and, and loud singing and shouting, what do, what do you think our gatherings are supposed to look like? What do you think they're supposed to look like? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of scriptures uh, in, in scriptures, commands to, that we're to worship God, we're to express our worship of God outwardly. Um, expressions of devotion, though, uh, must flow, or any, any expressions uh, 
Outward expressions of devotion need to flow from a faith-filled heart. So we gather and we're not, we, we don't want to whip up uh, emotion. We don't want to you know, caught, manipulate or try to make something happen, but it flows from faith-filled devotion. When we gather, we, we, we see these many ways that we can worship God with our bodies, and we respond. There's scriptures like, like Psalm 47.1 that tells us to clap our hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud, loud songs of joy. What does it look like? We, we, we clapped our hands. We, we hooted and hollered. We shouted to God with loud shouts of joy. Um, there, I'm convinced there is no decibel meters in heaven. Oh, I can hardly wait to get there. Oh, I, I, I led worship at a, a, a Russian young adults conference in Bellingham last week, and they told me, we want you to be as loud as you could possibly be. I was like, yes, that never happens anywhere I go. But you, you that don't like loud, Jesus is going to change your hearts when you get to heaven. <laughs> He's going to change your hearts. And, uh, and it is gonna be, it's going to be loud. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing. We sang this morning to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Verse six, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 149, three, let them praise his name with dancing. Ooh, <laughs> and no, we don't do that. We're Anglican. I kind of am too. <laughs> Praise his name with dancing. And, and then it says, make melody with a tambourine. Uh, I'm convinced that he's specifically speaking to only people who play drums. No one else is to touch a tambourine. <laughs> okay? I know you're some offended again. I grew up with seven ladies on the front row playing tambourines. It's like, <laughs> God is angry at you. <laughs> well, I'm having a good time up here. I know you're, you're looking offended and all kinds of things, but I'm leaving at the end of this, and I don't know if Alistair ever had me back, but... Tambourine should be played with people who got beat, you know, got rhythm. If they got rhythm, they can play a tambourine. If you don't have rhythm, you should audition to play tambourines. I'm convinced of it. Okay? And this, the reason why you're laughing because everybody's had the tambourine experience. <clears throat> Psalm 22, verse 23, tells us to stand in awe of him. 1 Timothy 2.8 tells us that I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting and women lifting holy hands. We read in Revelation that they fall down before him. So we can see that, that singing, clapping, shouting, kneeling, dancing, playing instruments, standing in awe, lifting hands, falling down, all these are acceptable and appropriate worship of the Lamb. And I don't think it was meant to be an exhaustive list. So if... What's happening up there focused on the lamb, the one seated in the middle of the throne is explosive worship. What does what, what our worship to look like? What, what holds us back? 
a, a few hindrances as I close, okay? One might be that you've lost sight of Jesus. Do you know that it's possible to be in church, to serve at church, to be involved in church, to come and to sing and to go through the motions and have your heart completely disengaged? Jesus in Mark uh, 7, verse 6, he was quoting Isaiah the prophet, and he said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is disengaged, is far from me. That's a danger that we all face. We're really good at doing this. We happens every morning at 10 a.m., every Sunday morning. What do we do? We get up, we get ready, we shower, we make ourselves look pretty, we come through the door. We sing, we get up, we sit down, we do the Lord's Supper, we leave. Hindrance that's holding us back from joining maybe that worship service already in progress is that we've lost sight of Jesus. Can I call you this morning to, to take a fresh glimpse, a new look at Jesus? kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field and a man found it and covered it up then in his joy he goes and sells everything to buy that field this is what we do is got to flow from an inward transformation jesus has done something in me and so when we gather as redeemed people we join that service just mindful that Jesus has saved me, brought me into his family. How could I not worship him and love him? It's the first hindrance. Second hindrance is maybe you're afraid of what others might think about you. In heaven, no one cares because their gaze is on the lamb, the worthy lamb. Down here, we got a lot of things to take care of. We're not careful or image could be tarnished. I know a pastor who pastors a church just right close to the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and a lot of, his, a lot of the, the big political leaders attend his church, and he said one day when asked, I don't lift my hands and I don't do these things because of those who attend my service. The Bible calls this in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man. The fear of the man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. There's a great article in World Magazine a while ago that said, the trouble with the fear of man, of course, is that you have a thousand masters instead of one to please. Gather on Sunday mornings, are you more aware of Fred and Jackie to your right and left? Or are you more aware that there's a worship service going on and we get to join that? And the lamb is centered in the middle of the throne and, and he's awakened my heart and I, I join the seraphs, I join the 24 elders, I join the myriads of angels falling down and saying, he's worthy. I had a guy in my church, I planted a church 20 years ago, and it was a, about a year and a half into the church. He was big. He was about 6'8", and he had come through the door, and he sat at the back for like four weeks, and he folded his arms like this, <clears throat> and he looked so angry, and he never sang. 
And we, we, we always had a good time, like a really good time. Like I moved a little more than I move here. And, and, and I finally, like, I went and met him the first Sunday, but the fourth one, I'm just like, why is this guy coming to my church? Because he's, he's just like illing me out. He's, he just looks like he wants to hurt me, and so maybe he does. Maybe I should just go and let him hurt me. So I went to the back, and I'm like, hey, man, good to see you again. I said, can I just ask you a question? We had, like, we had coffee and donut break in between the preaching, and so I got to preach in a minute, but, but we had coffee and donut break, and I figured it'd be nice before I preached to, to find out like, why he's angry. And uh, so I just said to him, I said, could you, could, can you just answer a question for me? Like, you've been here for like a month, but you, you look, you look, hmm. well, you look, you look, you look a little angry. You look like you're going to hurt me. <clears throat> and he just, he kind of chuckled. <laughs> he goes, no. He goes, I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Really? So that, that's how, okay, okay, great. That's all I want to know. About six months later, that guy was in our church service, and I, I love I love songs that that tell us about the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. We we desperately need in our churches to spread a banquet that that puts Jesus in all His glory and beauty on display, so that when people come sooner or later, it's going to get them. And it got him. He was so affected by the songs we were singing, the truth we were proclaiming. I remember one day seeing big tears coming down his eyes. And he, he was doing this movement, which I've never seen anybody do before. <laughs> <laughs> he just kept doing this. And I'm like, what's happening to him? <laughs> you know, maybe he's, we should like put him in a straitjacket, drag him out or something. But that's all he did. He's just like... <sighs> And he was just, he just told me after, he was just being so touched by God. Is, is a hindrance to gathering and centered around the Lamb is a hindrance that you're afraid of what others think. Maybe it's a theological issue. What I mean by that is there are many men and women that I love and respect. They deeply love Jesus. They know their Bibles better than me. They are absolutely more committed to Christ than me, and yet they would be more reserved in the way that they would worship Jesus. Many of these men, women, have greatly influenced my life by their books, the sermons they've preached, and they would say that our worship is to be characterized by an attitude of reverence and awe, soberness and solemnity. And while I would agree on this point, I think it's impossible to ignore the multitude of examples and commands in Scripture that emphasize celebration, passion, delight, exuberance, that we, we, we reflect all of them. It's impossible to ignore the, the, the many, many commands in Scripture to worship God in, in, in multiple ways through our bodies. Some, some would say, oh, worship is a matter of the heart. Could you imagine? I've been married for 33 years. If I said to my wife since the day we met, honey, I love you in my heart, but I never need to show it outwardly. 
honey, I love you. You gotta know I love you, but I will never demonstrate that love. Wow. I would not be married for 33 years. <laughs> She's hot. She's the greatest thing. She makes my heart beat faster when I see her. This lady is four foot 11 and she's dynamite. She loves me passionately and she loves our children passionately. We have eight and three grandbabies and they are crazy. My life is crazy, but she is amazing. Fourth hindrance is that you might say, I don't want to be emotional. And to paraphrase, paraphrase Jonathan Edwards, he says, Emotion, emotions are no sign one way, the, one way or the other that we're being affected by God. We can be moved by subtle lightning changes or well-designed architecture. The skill of the musician and the style of music can impact us. Of course, so can the biblical truth we're singing. He ends with, if we desire to honor God with our emotions, they will have their source in the truth we profess. Other factors may contribute to the same end, but it will be a secondary influence. And we know that. We, we use music, and music is beautiful. But if we take it away, Jesus is still Jesus. He's still a great Savior, and he still should be the one that moves our hearts. Well, we've barely scratched the surface when it comes to magnifying the lamb who's seated in the middle of his throne. I don't ever want to be guilty of conjuring something up or trying to whip up people's emotions. Our reason for passion and worship has got to be derived from this, derived from Scripture rather than our own personalities or preferences. And if this is true, then introverts, extroverts, young and old, academics, athletics, the athletic type are all called to worship God wholeheartedly in a way that is worthy of His supreme value. And I close with this last point. How was I? I'm done. I close with this point. You might say, I'm not worthy enough. And guess what? You never will be. That's the glory of the gospel. Jesus, when he looks at you, when God the Father looks at you, he sees perfect righteousness. It was given to you by the lamb who was slain for your many sins. Sam Storm says, grace is no longer grace if God is compelled to withdraw it in the presence of human demerit. Maybe this week you say, boy, what happened on Wednesday? That's why I can't lift my hands. That's why I can't engage my heart. That's why I can't approach the throne and worship the worthy lamb. Guess what? Those sins, past sins, present sins, and future sins were all placed on the lamb who was slain for you. And he is worthy of every breath. He's worthy of our life. He's worthy of our worship. So let it be said of St. Peter's and every church that loves Jesus that we're joining that already worship service in progress, magnifying the worthy lamb every time we gather. And what's, what's appropriate? What's the appropriate response to that worthy lamb? 
Well, you, you worship him with your heart and let it, let it spill out into whatever you, however you want to worship him rightly.